Angelou wrote, I have written 11 books, but each time I think, uh-oh, they're going to find out now. I run a game <laughs> on everybody, uh, and they're going to find me out. It's like sexuality. I, I think that we all fall somewhere on or between Damien Hurst and Henry Darcher uh, as definitions of, of the extreme. But that's that's very real for you. Talk about that imposter syndrome. That, oh, that you faced. And, and then I, I'd love to know how, how you overcome it. I think that's a work in progress. So well, I'll start with this and I, and I will get candid and vulnerable here with you. Uh -huh. so on this I, episode of Playtime, Anna Soltis and Mickey Kellerman on Sizigal's debut album, Right Path. I'm W.C. Turk, author, artist, and playwright. Again, Anna Soltis has partnered with Future Rocks' Mickey Kellerman and Darren Heights, this time with a dream pop project called Sizigal. Be prepared. Their exceptional debut album, Right Path, will sneak up on you with its multi-layered sound. The album is currently available on all streaming platforms. Right Path is two years in the making and chronicles the journey the band went through to take back control of their lives in order to live a life of purpose. The website is Sizigal Music, and I'll spell that S-Y-Z-Y-G-A-L music.com. We'll post links in the notes. Mickey Kellerman and Anna Soltis joins me for this episode of Playtime. We're uh, we're waiting for, for Anna to, to jump in. Mickey, how are you today on the, uh, on the eve of Armageddon, buddy? <laughs> I'm doing pretty well, considering. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. But uh, yeah, I'm really happy to be here and looking forward to uh, the conversation we're going to have. Nice. So I, I guess this is where where my intro began to, to fall apart. I, I was I was going to throw all, all kinds of different things in here. Uh, I had Sizigal sizzles. Uh, I had <laughs> what's the sizzle in Sizigal and Anna Soltis is sizzling in. Help me out here, buddy. Sizigal. Yeah, yeah. Where, where does where does the name come from? Yeah, great question. So um, we when we were trying to come up with uh, a name for the project, mm -hmm. 
Anna was, well, Anna, you can probably tell better than I, uh, my understanding was you're just looking through the dictionary. I was, you know, it's one of these things, right? It's like naming, it's like naming, naming a child. Mm -hmm, (laughs) Um, mm -hmm. I started like, yeah, it was just like, what, you know, what are we going to do? And I started going through dictionary. I would be up at night. I don't sleep very well a lot. And I'd be (laughs) up at night, like on my phone, like looking up cool words, like translating them to other languages. And yeah, so then I was like, kind of obsessively sending Mickey a bunch of ideas. <laughs> and some of them really very, very silly and not cool, but you got to get those out too, mm-hmm. you know, so that you're not stuck on them. My, my recollection was one of the first words you sent was the word syzygy, which is, I think there's a bunch of different meanings uh, or definitions of that word. But the one that I saw first when I looked it up after Anna sent it to me was, three celestial bodies in perfect alignment with each other. Yeah. Um, and I've always personally had a fascination with outer space and, and the cosmos. You know, we have three people in our bands and it just, I don't know, that that concept just really struck a chord with me. More and than, there's Zs and Ys. Yeah. Come on. Yes. The Ys and Zs also <laughs> are pretty cool. I agree. And so then I, you know, I did a little bit of research online to see, is that, a, can we name the band Syzygy? And mm-hmm. the answer was absolutely not. There are other bands that are already using that name. So I was like, all right, well, what is, I just kind of started thinking of what are some different combinations or plays off of that word mm-hmm. and Syzygal just kind of came. No, came I like, I like how it's flowing off your tongue so nicely and easily, Mickey. <laughs> it took us months to try to figure out how to pronounce this. <laughs> so I mean, why not? Because you, you guys, and, and we'll get more into future rock here in a little bit. Why not just make this another future rock album? Oh, wow. Good question. I was not though. expecting that question. <laughs> It's a great question. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that is a different project a compl- and the uh-huh. entire kind of ethos of future rock I think was different. Now, of course you could probably retort, but I thought you wrote a bunch of songs with Anna on the last future rock album. Go with, go with it now, go with, go with it, go with, go with it now, go with, go with it. And that's exactly where I was going to (laughs) go. Yeah. So um, I think that, you know, the 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 four songs that we wrote with Future Rock Mm -hmm. was the first four songs that Anna and I collaborated on. And I, those songs, now you could, there's one of them that I think could fit with the Sizzle project in terms of kind of the the vibe that we're going for. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I, I think the other songs, Future Rock's songs tended to be, um faster like higher tempo okay and um one of the things as i was starting to write the music for this project i 
I really was gravitating towards slower tempos. Mm-hmm. And, and so as we started writing music for this project, it just didn't feel at all like it was of the same type of music as future rock music was, at least not for me. There's, there's a bit of a dance, uh, a dance beat that's imbued in all of the songs. Yeah. Is, it was, was that intentional or is that just a, just a natural consequence? Oh, it is of- incredibly intentional. music uh, my uh-huh. entire adult life probably even when I was a kid but I really became aware of that obsession in college when I really first started getting into like electronic music like yeah. that funk and but if this music. feels very strategic it doesn't feel like doesn't feel like a like a euro dance floor driving beat these are these are subdued I use the term dream pop in my in yeah. my introduction because yeah. that that sort of belies kind of a, a slower more thoughtful aspect yeah again that was done uh, intentionally and on purpose yeah that's uh, at least for me personally in in writing music that mm-hmm. is the style of music that i'm just feeling right now and really it was it was a a huge uh, sea change for me mm-hmm. in in terms of like uh, my creative output because once i really started to dial in kind of the sounds that I was, I was going for, at least on the, the, the music part of it, obviously mm-hmm. Anna writes all of the, the vocals and the lyrics and, and all of the harmonies and everything, but the, the music itself, once I kind of settled in, I, I wanted, you know, there's like a certain tempo range and a, and a, and a feel and I, and I know, and I wanted it to be like dance music as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, also like, so I don't, you probably noticed this like synthesizer bass, like mm-hmm. bass synthesizer mm-hmm. plays a pretty prominent role. And in future rock, I didn't really, you know, we had a bass player.
there was bass synthesizer part of future rock, but like also electric bass played a huge role. And so I always imagine, you know, I always wanted to have this other project where I, I could be the, the bass player, really. And that would be, that would kind of be the foundation of the, uh, the sound, right? And, and so that was kind of, that was the approach. And like, the more I kind of like really got into that, the easier it got to like write the music for the project. I was just going to add to that. I mean, so for me, you know, and Bill, we've known each other for a while and, and you know my music. And so mm-hmm. this is obviously different from the Anna Soltis mm-hmm. and the Familiar. But, you know, my most of my music career, I think I dreamt about the idea of doing something like this and less just because it's cool and mainstream and it's something that I would dance to and like. But I do believe that these that this style of music sort of just owns this sort of like mantra, repetitive, very kind of like transic ability to get lost in. You can just get lost in this in this space, in Mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. movement, in the sound, in the volume even. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of being in that space and when I've gone to festivals and I've kind of like been there and being able to then over that listen to lyrics that might be inspiring or like mm-hmm. open or you know something something that's positive and something that can like uplift you mm-hmm. is magical There's some great tempo changes throughout the album and there's some there's some really wonderful transitions that the rhythm either either drops out completely or is is very minimal which i which i think is very is really refreshing i i wanna i wanna go to to this the harmonies are so fairy tale beautiful in on this this album anna talk about how you explore those harmonies and then and then Mickey, I, I'd love I'd love to know what your input is in those layered harmonies because you're building the music. You have your own vision for that song, and those two visions—the lyric and the music—need to come together in in this in this harmony, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. Sure, I can start. Um, so that process has been very. There, there's definitely like it's a multi-step situation. So Mickey will you know send me the song as he writes, you know, as when he's done with it, when he feels good about it Mm -hmm. or as good as he's going to. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then from there, you know, I sit in my room and I write the song and, and in the beginning, when we first started writing together, you know, I had some ideas, but I I really imagined that I would develop a lot of it uh, in the studio. So they were very sparse, Mm -hmm. but the more 
songs we worked on together and the more times I spent in the studio with Rick, uh, with Rick Barnes at Rax Tracks, mm-hmm. the more the sound has evolved. And that's one in due part because I'm feeling a lot more confident about what it is that we're doing and so mm-hmm. allowing myself to grow with it. But secondly, Rick is a genius in his own right, especially with this kind of stuff. And we have a really comfortable relationship. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of the exploration happens in the studio, you know, once we're starting to layer these and and the song sort of um, really comes fully together at at that point. aspect of the wonderful lush harmonies that that Anna sings on the album but the truth is I really have little to do with it other than you know the first as Anna mentioned the first part of the process is she'll send she'll record vocal tracks that she's thinking in her home studio Mm -hmm. and she'll send them to me and then I'll usually play around with them and play around with the mix a little bit and maybe sometimes I'll edit and chop them up a little bit mm-hmm. to create a demo version of the song. Mm-hmm. So like I, I am involved in that sense, but then once we, the next step is to Anna goes into work, you know, I send the music over to Rick wax tracks and then Anna and Rick work together. I'm not involved at all in that process. I, I live in Columbus, Anna is in <laughs> Chicago. It's not practical for me to go up, to Chicago every time that, mm-hmm. that Anna goes in the studio to work on the vocals. Mm-hmm. And honestly, from the output that uh, I've, I've heard every time they go in and it keeps getting better and better, I think probably I would make the process worse if I was there <laughs> because, no, I'm serious. I, it, there's something, there's some, I'm going to use the word magic here multiple times. There's something magical that's going on between Anna and Rick working together on that. And so mm-hmm. there's absolutely no need for me to be there because I'm not going to, I, I don't think I'm going to add anything to that process. And I think there's, it's more likely I would detract from it. You mentioned that, that you transitioned to electronic bass, to a programmed bass, uh, yeah. baseline for, uh, for this album, but you, you held over Darren Heights on, yes. on drums. Talk about in the age of programmable beats, what that human element uh, and what what Darren brings to uh, to the album. Yeah, absolutely. So well, first of all, I was going to mention this before, and I, I guess I'll bring it up now. So it's worth um, talking about the fact as, as I'm writing this music, uh-huh. I'm always like envisioning how it's going to go over a lot in a live setting. 
And so it's funny because I, I mean, I'm, I'm very happy with how the album turned out, mm-hmm. but I'm even more excited about us actually getting to play this music live because, and, and that and to tie into your question about Darren. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, you know, there is a time and place for um, laptop music. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. a lot of great laptop music out there. There's a lot of great, I've seen a lot of great DJ performances. I've seen mm-hmm. a lot of great electronic music performances on a laptop. However, I personally love live drums and for the sound that we're going for, it's just essential. I it, having that, you know, and Darren, I played with him since 2004. So he was, he was, um, you know, he was with future rock for pretty much the whole time we were a band. Yeah. He just has a way of how he plays drums. That's so powerful. And, but also his time is, is really great. And so for the style of music, knowing that we want it to be powerful dance beats, he's just the perfect drummer for that. And so there was never any question in my mind as Ann and I were talking about and coming up with the idea for this project that I wanted Darren to be the drummer mm-hmm. because he just understands exactly what we're trying to do. And I think when people see us play live, they're going to get it even more. I never went You know what you're doing. Take it all back, take it all back. Will you take it back, take it all back? Take it all back, take it all back. Will you take it back, take it all back? Every single word, every single word. He really brings this this wonderful human element to mm-hmm. to those layers, especially when when he hits these wonderful uh, offbeats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and Absolutely. I think you know when and and to to your point, Mickey, I think when we're playing live, it just you know we we are so stuck behind our screens all the time. We are so yeah. you know fabricated in a way, and so to to bring back a little human element to anything that we do. Mm-hmm is uh, definitely worth worthwhile i think for sure uh, now now there's there's one other musical element that i want to i want to want to add to this because i think it's incredibly important and it's such a brilliant texture it it takes it takes what would have been a good album to a great level and that is justin canavan yeah um, plays who plays guitar with uh with jamila woods uh, and for people who don't know who jamila woods is she she's this great jazz R&B singer from from I think she's from the south side of Chicago but she's mm-hmm. from Chicago uh, and she just has this this sultry beautiful sound she put out an album in uh, in 2019 Legacy Legacy uh, which which is just it, it's it's a it's a classic I am not your typical girl so that picture in your head I am not your typical girl
please talk about uh, about Justin and uh, and his contribution. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and I got to thank Rick Barnes uh, mm-hmm. completely for this because Rick introduced us to Justin and okay. Rick, um, you know, I, I, I went to Rick during the process of, you know, we were recording the drums, recording the vocals. And I said, you know, I'm really hearing guitar on some of these songs. And I think it's, I think we really need it. Mm-hmm. And at first he didn't, he's like, all right, let me think about it. And then he came back a few weeks later and he's like, he's like, I think I have the perfect guitar player for you. And, and I know Rick has known Justin since he was in college and he, yeah. Worked with him. Yeah, he went that. to Columbia. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so Rick um, coordinated bringing Justin in mm-hmm. um, for a recording session. Mm-hmm. And we decided there was, we were going to try to get to do four songs mm-hmm. um, to have him play on. There was two in particular um, that I knew we wanted. And then we ended up having enough time to do two more songs. And I mean, I, <laughs> it was so amazing watching the process because you now I got to the studio and they had already set up the amp they had already kind of set everything up and and so they justin was like ready to go and i think you'd have to ask justin for sure but i mean whether he had even come up with parts before he came to the studio i I don't think really i think he had listened to the songs Uh a few times but he and he maybe had a few ideas but like he certainly didn't have the parts already worked out wow because they sound so precise and so structured. I mean, Those notes he might have. Clean. He's a professional. He yeah. might. He yeah. might have. But he made exactly. it look. He made it look like it was like just ice cream with a cherry on top. Like it just was like <laughs> well, so. We were, well, like he was as we were like we were um kind of as we were going through the recording session like yeah. spitballing ideas. He'd be like, "Is this what you're thinking?" I'd be like, "No, <laughs> this." And then he'd just like change it. And and I mean, it, it was just really amazing to watch that. I. I and I mean, the tone, the guitar tone that he was able to get. Yeah, it, it adds this, it adds this Alan Parsons or Steely mm-hmm. Dan-esque yeah. quality to it that is just, it's just exceptional. It's, it's magical to hear. very lucky that was definitely just like the universe just dropping a a little a little something in our lap and i I don't think we could have expected it to be as good as it was and now the bar is pretty high and so we're gonna (laughs) you know we're gonna try to hold on to him as long as we can you know (laughs) so uh so mickey you said that anna writes the lyrics but twitchy is 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 your title for that song there's a bunch of his titles. Yeah. yeah, first, yeah. yeah I think the first few songs I wrote the titles for. Yeah. It's, I became very like kind of stuck. He would send me one and it was called something and it was always something really cool. And like as a words person, it just uh-huh. it was naturally to just go with it. But it also reflected the feeling. of. The- it, yeah. So it was especially those first four songs that I wrote for the album. I just had such a strong feeling about like what those meant to me that the 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 titles of, for the song just kind of came to me mm-hmm. but i, I kind of realized halfway through 
that it was probably somewhat creative, creatively stifling for me to force Anna to have to write lyrics <laughs> to a title that I created. And I wanted to, you know, as we, as our um, collaboration evolved, I just decided, I was like, I don't want to do that. I want. Yeah. He started, he started naming them weird things that just didn't do it anymore. (laughs) But I do, you know, it's, but it's the thing is it was only inspiring. I think that, you know, what we're trying to do here is feed off of each other as best as we can. And we have a, we do what's lovely about this project is that there's a shared synergy about the way we feel about life and about Mm -hmm. you know people and things. And that part of it is really exciting. And so I don't, you know, I don't think it's possible really to stifle the process. <laughs> Mickey, you you talk about the anxiety that you feel um, in in one of the in one of the pieces that uh, that you and the band did together, uh, one of the interview pieces that you and the band did together. You talk about the anxiety that you feel when you when you go a spell without writing anything, mm. um, and you brought up imposter syndrome which I think is endemic to all creative people without monster egos. Yeah. Maya Angelou wrote, I have written 11 books, but each time I think, "Uh uh-oh, they're going to find out now, I run a game (laughs) on everybody uh, and they're going to find me out. It's like sexuality. I I think that we all fall somewhere on or between Damien Hurst and Henry Darger. Uh, as definitions of the extreme, but that's, that's very real for you. Talk about that imposter syndrome that that you faced. And and then I'd love to know how, how you overcome it. I think that's a work in progress. So I'll I'll start with this and I, and I I will get candid and vulnerable here with you. Uh So I've, I've always been very self-conscious about the fact that I don't really have the musical training that a lot of the musicians that I really admire have. And I think for a really long time, and I and think yet you've clear, got five albums, out, five or six albums. out. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and, and it's something I've really struggled with, like the entire time that I've been in a band and played music, which is just um, not feeling like I measure up to the other musicians that I really admire, especially when I was with future rock, that was always a, an issue for me. Mm-hmm. It was really easy for me to like get in my head and, you know, it's, it's really tough to, to create authentically if you're in your head or almost impossible. You know, one of the great things about this project, and I think a lot of it has to do with having someone that I can collaborate with that shares Mm -hmm. the same values and the same vision that really honestly gives me the strength to um, be able to get out of my head and to be able to just like create unselfconsciously and just, you know, really write what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. The more I've I've written for the project and we, and we've actually, we have new music we've been working on the last six months. And I I just, where, where the sound is heading, I I think it it just keeps getting better and better. And Mm -hmm. for me, this, this has been the perfect project because it's really, again, I don't, I don't, I think I still have a ways to go and, and trying to overcome that imposter syndrome. But I, I think I, more than I ever have in my life, I believe in myself and believe that I'm as worthy as anyone else to be able to, to make music and hopefully people like it, but I'm not, I think that's a secondary thing. Honestly, it's, I'm really making it for myself first mm-hmm. and foremost, because I love it. And it's what I'm passionate about. And it, what writing music is what gives one of the things that gives me meaning. 
And it's always a great feeling to like finish a song and send it to Anna and, and have her get, get really excited about it. And, and it feels very authentic that she's excited. I don't think she's just like kidding me that she's excited about it. <laughs> well, so that, that keeps me going. So, so Anna, I'm going to, I'm going to throw the question to you, but I'm going to preface it this way by saying that you do so much artistically, the visual arts murals. Does this ever, this imposter syndrome, are you, are you ever faced with, with those kinds of questions or doubt or self doubts, or are you just way too busy to, to, to give it a second consideration? Um, every morning, yeah. Bill. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Every morning when Until I you've up. had your coffee. <laughs> yeah. No, it's weird. But, you know, the thing, the way I think about it is because, you know, it, it, when you tr- allow yourself to be creative and when you put yourself yourself out in front of the world, you're putting yourself out mm-hmm. for possible judgment um, and for all the things that fall under the umbrella of that judgment. And that in itself, I remember thinking to myself, one of the hardest choices I ever made as a young student was recognizing the fact that I'm an artist and starting to call myself an artist. That was a really huge transitionary point for me in my mm-hmm. life, you know, because I'm acknowledging something and I, I'm not even that good. It doesn't matter. I know it. Right. Mm-hmm. So now I have to present myself that way. So then there's always through, through my whole life, I'm 42 now, there's always been people that are better, more clever, smarter, have better memory, have better this, have better that, have had better resources, opportunities, whatever, but it just doesn't matter because our life here is not to compare ourselves to other people or to try to be better than everybody else. Our life's purpose is really to try to be as authentic and clear with ourselves about who we are. Mm -hmm. So whether we fall on our face and fail or possibly, you know, make a small, tiny difference really is irrelevant Mm -hmm. because what else are we going to do? Like what's the other option? Do you you think that Vladimir Putin is listening to this right now? And (laughs) this, uh, (laughs) we could just go by that. Uh, This can't have been a simple album to mix. The pieces all fit together so perfectly. Talk about the contribution. Maybe this is a best question to start with, with, Anna on the, the contribution of Rick Barnes and Rackstrex. Um and, and I'm I'm thinking right now I'm I'm thinking of, of the song Forgiven mm-hmm. specifically.
Well, a lot of the credit for that part of it really goes to Mickey and Rick. Um, there's, uh, you know, I kind of threw Rick out as an option for us to work with, and okay. I didn't know it was going to happen, you know, because I I respect and, and love Rick very much as a producer, mm-hmm. and I'm super impressed with his talent. But now Mickey, also, you know, a producer, how is that synergy going to work? Mm-hmm. And I think, again, it's been a very awesome sort of um, relationship that's grown. And I think mm-hmm. they've really figured out a way to work together and understand each other that makes the process as seamless as it sounds. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'll let Mickey talk about that. I, was say, I don't have anything to do with, with that, really. There were some hiccups along the way. <laughs> uh, we had to, it was kind of a work in progress trying to like figure out how to work together and we had a big um, breakthrough lately, kind of far into the process. Mm-hmm. So we, what we were trying to do, and this was, this was not the best approach in retrospect, I was like in the room with Rick while he was mixing. And it just ended up not being a very productive dynamic. Mm-hmm. And I think it ended up slowing the process down. And we got to a place where it was funny because I think Rick and I both came to the same realization kind of at the exact same moment. Cause I remember the conversation when I called him up and I was like, you know, I'm thinking maybe you should do a mix for all the songs without me being there. He's like, oh, I'm so glad you said that. I was thinking. The same thing. <laughs> so, but how, how does that feel for you as an artist to, to just hand over all of your work to somebody and obviously you know the caliber of of the the production talents of somebody like rick barnes but that's got to be kind of kind of scary when you make it's incredibly scary i my like one of the biggest things that i'm working on in my life is to be less controlling Uh and so it's it's hard I tend to be a very controlling person and very determined and results oriented. It was very hard for me to turn that over to someone else and relinquish relinquish any control, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I, I did recognize, hey, I mean, Rick has he has a lot of strengths that that make up for some of my areas that I just am not as strong, mm-hmm. um, especially on, you know, the, the all the drum sounds of the album yeah. I mean, Rick was, he came up with the idea for the snare that we used and he obviously like mic'd everything. And yeah. Well, so, I mean, that was all him. And so I think seeing how much he was bringing to the table in that process did make it easier to, to let go of some control. Now there was definitely some like arguments in it, you know, respectful arguments mm-hmm. on mix that came up. Right. Because, and this was a, probably the hardest part for me, which is, I really had an idea in my mind of exactly how I wanted the sound, mm-hmm. especially like what the levels of each of the different instruments I wanted to be. And I, you know, especially like as the person who like wrote all the synthesizer parts, uh, my natural inclination is to have those be uh, louder in the mix. <laughs> um, but in, and probably that has a lot to do with ego. So I will admit that, but the problem is, and this is where Rick really helped a lot, is, well, some of the synthesizer parts are in the same frequency range as the vocals. Mm-hmm. And so you can't have those, you can't have both the vocals and some of those mid-range synthesizer parts be the same level of volume. Uh, it just doesn't work and it clashes with each other. So 
at the end of the day, there were definitely like, I could think of a few parts on a few songs. There were the synthesizer part is lower in the mix than I would have probably done it myself. But I think at the end of the day, it made the album and it made the songs better. This is, uh, this is also a very big part of the album, are the visuals, and I'd like to talk about the videos for the album, uh, which has a textured mix of, of NFTs and, and visual clips um, that become this dream sequencing. Right now, my favorite video is Right Path. Um, so, and I think you sort of answered this about, uh, about bringing this the sound to the stage will will the videos will the visuals also be a part of uh, of the visual event yeah we talked about it i think if the um opportunity arises and it's appropriate we definitely want to yeah. bring this in at some point we definitely want to bring in a visual element to the stage when it's appropriate you know i think for me personally i'm extremely visual person and even when we were talking about releasing these tracks, like it just went without much thought for me that we were going to have some kind of visual representation. And, you know, if we had endless resources, I think we would have done a specialty uh, music video for each song because mm -hmm. each one of those songs, you know, is that valued, I think, for us um, in the production. I don't think there's one song that sort of trumps another one, one for me at least. There's some of the most artfully done videos that I've seen, uh, music videos that I that I've seen. Well, that's really big. Of, thank you because it was all, so it was all Anna. So <laughs> it was funny because I honestly I was I was thinking to myself, how in the world? Like I agree with Anna. I was like, we need some some kind of visual representation of each of these songs. Um, it's you got it. Important. <laughs> But I was, I, I had absolutely no idea how we were going to do that. Yeah. And I, like, I didn't even really realize on the, the first song that uh, Anna worked on was, was stand up. And I didn't even realize she was doing that. And like, she just sent me the, like the finished video without even <laughs> telling me she was working on it. I was like, oh my God, this is unbelievable.
Once I saw that, I was like, well, I guess we're gonna have to do that for all the stuff. Yeah, it's, you know, and I, and I love, I, so this was, you know, I, I, we, I use stock footage for all uh -huh. these videos, Bill. So this is not, these are, you know, these are videos that we can use that were through, through pixel.com. Uh -huh. And as, you know, I But love there's, there's also you in, in costume and. Yes. Uh, so we have yeah. one, we have one music video um, that we did um, have, uh, you know, actual music video with, with me in it. And mm -hmm. that was an amazing and intense process. So I think we filmed that on one of the coldest days of the year or like the whole, the whole time we were working on it, it was like below 10 degrees. It was insane. Oh God. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, it does do something, right, Bill? I mean, mm -hmm. there's, there's, you know, being able to, to just get lost in something visual while you're listening to words is, is, is a really cool process. Uh, you brought up stand up, um, which, and, and I love this, the thoughtfulness and the detail that you bring, not, not only to the music and the videos, but also the description of these. You write stand up, <laughs> which deals with taking a look at how energies that surround us in our lives affect our progress and growth, being aware of the root causes holding us back is step one, standing up and setting uh, healthy boundaries is a step towards freedom and accessing our fullest potential. The song has this great delight, groove is in the heart vibe. <laughs> um, and and I, I, I have to say, it sneaks up and gets stuck in your brain. I never once thought that you know what you're doing I never went slow That you know what you're doing Take it all back, take it all back Will you take it back, take it all back Take it all back, take it all back Will you take it back, take it all back The, again, the descriptions that we are, are all, Anna wrote all those um, now, which made sense. I mean, she was the one who wrote the uh -huh. lyrics. And to be honest, I didn't, until I read the description, I wasn't even quite sure what well she also you you guys also include the lyrics. And so, so I, I'm going to continue on that theme. Let's talk about Stronger, which is, is mm. a 
powerful, powerful song, both musically and lyrically. Again, you write, Stronger was written about May 2020 during the onset of the murder of, of George Floyd, soon after the pandemic began. The very important voices that came together in continuing the fight against injustice towards minorities, and again, reminding everyone how very little changes and just how far we have to dig within ourselves to even begin to comprehend the root of the problem that has been ingrained for so long and so deeply that most of us are completely unaware of its continued impact. We each have a responsibility to acknowledge truth, to see things for what they are, and to listen. The symptoms in place have created bias in all of us. But the lyrics, I think, are really the outstanding part of this. And I'm just gonna just gonna give uh, folks a quick quick verse, uh, and then you guys can can talk about stronger and in, in, in more detail. Could it be we've seen this before? Don't you think there must be just a little more? Don't you think beneath the castles in the sand? Don't you think? If there was oceans without land, would we sink? Could it be wasting that so far, don't you think? There might be just a little more, don't you think? Beneath the castles in the sand, don't you think? If there was oceans without land, would we sink? Maybe we'd close our eyes and dream away. Don't you think it would be a bad Anna Soltis talk about the lyrics and and then there's there's this there's a wonderful abstraction that's that that came out of came out of the 80s and 90s for lyrics but we're we're moving towards greater realism in in lyricism mm-hmm. and, and and I I just had this had a great conversation with Mel Torme's son about improv in in lyrics and regarding basically the 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 uh the jackson documentary and the beatles get back which which he talks about improv being a necessary function of of lyricism and marrying lyrics to music and 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 i get that from from a music lover side i told him it was kind of a betrayal because we all as as music listeners we like to think that that those songs are written just for us or about us or something that's important to us and and not just uh, a problem solving in a space but your lyrics are really essays in, in and in and of themselves but so i i guess i'd i'd love to know the process of taking taking a lyrical idea and and fitting it to music and still maintaining the music given the uh the improv or the cutting or the the abbreviating that's necessary in that process yeah one of the things i really love about this project and work and love about working with mickey is that there is an element of the 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 writing process that has been taken out for me which is coming up with the initial melody groove and all of it it is it's so much it's so fun i want to just first say it is so fun as as a as a lyricist and as a as a as a musician to you know get something and then allow myself just to fully be inspired and get lost you know so that's number one the lyrics you know 
music for me, I didn't become a musician because I thought I was a good songwriter or a good vocalist. I, I really, I went into it as another form of communication. I, I'm an artist at heart and I want to communicate with people. It's the most natural way for me to do that is through the arts. I reached an end of my ability to do that in the visual arts and I, not an end, but I felt blocked. And so poems and language um, became a sort of a natural transition. So all of my lyrics really are sure there's elements of like, you know, sort of poetic justice or whatever, but really it is just a form of communication. Mm -hmm. And I think because I've, um, I've, I've had to learn three languages in my life. My, you know, the way that my uh, words kind of work together have, has been influenced by that, but different ways that my mouth has had to move to communicate over my, my lifetime. But with this song in particular, Bill, this was a really, it makes me want to cry just thinking about it because it, it was really written in the rawest parts of what felt uh, like a, like a, like a civil war uh, that just, it was, and it was so personal and also so distant Mm -hmm. because it, uh, you know, equally as much. Mm -hmm. And how do you communicate some of these really large issues? It's not about writing a novel. It's about reminding people of some of the simplest truths because all of it is really comes down to a really simple thing that's been made into this mess, you know, over a really long period of time. Yeah. And it's sickening. I, I think I think what you did is is the essence of art, and that's uh, that's commenting on on the truth and and the universe in in the most beautiful way. Mickey, I'm going to give you the last word, and then then you guys got to come back and and. <laughs> so I was feeling those same feelings um, that Anna was, and when I was writing the music for that song, I mean it. I, I'm sure we all remember, and it seems like a lifetime ago almost when the, the shutdown happened, you know, and then yeah. it were, we're like locked in our homes for months. And then we have this social unrest that happens. And I mean, it was extremely unsettling. And so the music, I think, especially the first part of this, the first half of the song really kind of um, mirrors that unsettling feeling. It doesn't, it's not pretty music. Um, I think it's powerful. And I, I mean, the, the, it, you know, I think, you know, the beat and, and that kind of ominous sounding bass part, I mean, it just is very driving. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I, you know, I love the second half of the song, you know, it does get a little bit more hopeful sounding. Right. And that was on purpose. Um, I wanted it to resolve from that, unsettling feeling. I didn't want it to just be a song that had that unsettling feeling the whole time. And, um, and so I do have it resolved to have a little bit more pleasant sounding chord chord progression. And then of course, Justin added the, the guitar, um, which really, um, helped to build the energy of that, of that part. And then, yeah. yeah, And then, um, the, the biggest, uh, you know, we, Originally, that song did not end with just the vocals by themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, that was there. There was music that kept going with it, and I just had this idea one time when I was messing around on my computer. I was like, "What if I just fade all fade all that music out and see what happens?" And I was like, "Oh man, that just works perfectly." And is and then when we realized, I was like, "Oh, this is 
this should be the last song on the album. I was like, what? There's no better way, I think, for us to end the album than just Anna um, singing by herself. It, it just was just perfect. Uh, Anna, uh, very quickly, uh, are we going to get anything new from Anna Soltis and the familiar anytime soon? You know it. <laughs> Beautiful. Coming to you live. We got five tunes, man. We're Wonderful. getting close. Yeah. Well, you, you know where to come to talk about it. Yeah, for sure. Anna Soltis has par- partnered with Future Rocks, Mickey Kellerman, and Darren Heights, this time with a dream pop project called Sizigal. Their exceptional dream pop debut album, Right Path, will sneak up on you with its multi-layered sound and beautifully executed visuals. The album is currently available on all streaming platforms, and we will link to them in the notes. Guys, thank you so, so much. This was wonderful. Bill, thank you. I, that was really one of the most enjoyable conversations I've had in a long time. Nice, nice. And uh, well, I, I hope we get a chance to do it again, man. I yeah. hope so. Let's talk soon. All right, guys. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you soon. I'd like to thank my guests, Anna Soltis and Mickey Kellerman. Please subscribe to this podcast by clicking the subscribe button. Playtime is a grassroots street-level look at the arts. I'm your host, W.C. Turk.
Let's not forget our hearts.